Hello everyone, this is the seventh episode of Bible Beyond, and today we're going to be learning about the story where Jacob wrestles with God. Our passage comes from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. It says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Pinyol, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The Bible is a very unique book, and this is because it has some very high standards to meet. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says that, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, because the Bible has to make us wise for salvation, that means that it's a very unique book, unlike any other book that we've ever read. And because of that, there are a lot of strange stories that may not make sense when we first read them, with this being one of them. And when you first read this, you're probably left with a lot of unanswered questions, such as, why is God wrestling with Jacob, and how does Jacob win? Well, today we're going to answer those questions and see how it applies to us today, all this and more, on Bible Beyond. So before we jump into the passage, I want to go over some backstory, and I want to explain the history of Jacob that led him to wrestling with God. Jacob was born with a brother Esau. Esau was the older brother, and Jacob was the younger brother. And because of that, Esau was entitled to the blessing and the birthright of the family. So when their father died, Esau would get the birthright, and Jacob would not. Now, Jacob didn't like this, so when his father was dying, he deceived him into giving Jacob the blessing instead of Esau. Now, understandably, Esau was very mad that he had done this, that his future had been taken away by his brother. So in his rage, he says that he's going to kill Jacob. And because of this, Jacob flees and lives with his uncle Laban. 
Now, during his time with Uncle Laban, God blesses him, and he's profitable, he does well, he does good work for his uncle. And some other stories happen. We have him meet his wife, uh, he uh, has a vision, uh, some, some things happen during that journey, but eventually he leaves. He leaves Uncle Laban, he goes out, and then he's confronted with Esau. He hears that Esau is coming for him with 400 men. And these 400 men weren't a, a welcome party to welcome him home after all these years that he had been away. These, No, these 400 men were an army to punish Jacob for the crimes that he had committed against Esau. So, understandably, Jacob is uh, really in a bad situation. He's um, hopeless in many ways. And actually to the point of splitting up his family so that if one part is massacred, then the other may still survive. We can see he's in a very bad place right now. So once he splits up his family and they go across the Jabbok, Jacob's left alone and he kind of goes by himself, most likely to pray to God and to seek um, help and protection from him, uh, seeing what's about to happen tomorrow. But instead of getting protection or, you know, comfort and grace, he, he actually has to wrestle with God. Now, to Jacob, this must have seemed uh, like a major inconvenience. He needed to be uh, protected and defended from his brother, and instead it seems like God is just another enemy in his way. Now, it's true that God has um, opposed people before, right? All throughout the Old Testament, God may support, you know, Israel over the Philistines, or sometimes even uh, Israel's enemy um, God supports in order to judge Israel. So God does take sides, and he does oppose uh, certain people. But what's strange here is how direct God is in that opposition. Typically, like in the case of Israel, um, God will send an army or another nation to conquer them, and thereby he has opposed them and judged them. But here it's so much more direct. He actually comes down to wrestle with him. God physically wrestles with Jacob. It says right there, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob says uh, later on, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So he's really fighting God, and this is so much more direct. This falls so out of line of how we typically see God move in the rest of the Old Testament. And for us, it may make you wonder, what side of God will I get when I cry out for help? When I'm in a dire situation, am I going to have to wrestle with God? Is he going to be just another enemy I have to face? Or... Will he provide grace? Will he rescue me from the lion's den or from the mouth of the fish? Which side of God will I get? Typically in the Bible, um, or even in the case of David, who needed God's help constantly, uh, we're told to expect help and to expect grace from him and that he'll be watching over us. David, who, again, he needed God's help constantly throughout his life. The psalmist writes in uh, Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will not will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The point of this uh, Psalm 121 is to say that God won't um, ignore you in your time of trouble, that he'll keep your going in and your coming out all throughout the day and night. But again, that's not what Jacob is presented with. So it makes us wonder, why is that? And when we pray, uh, which side of God will we be confronted with? But what I think is more surprising than this is not the fact that God wrestles with Jacob, but it's the fact that Jacob wins. See, God's the creator of heaven and earth. And because of that, he is all-powerful. He has power over all things, as evidenced by the fact that he created everything. In fact, uh, Matthew 19.26, it says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And again, this is a prevailing theme throughout the Bible. God is always all-powerful. He's never lacking in anything. He's the creator of everything. He has authority over the sea. He has authority over the wind and the waves. So this paints kind of a confusing picture, and it makes us wonder, again, are we going to get the God who wants to help us and is all-powerful, can do anything, who loves us and will deliver us, or are we going to be confronted with what Jacob gets right here, where God comes to wrestle with us and it turns out he doesn't even win? These are all questions that probably pop into your mind when you first read the story, and it's probably very confusing because, again, this falls way out of line of the rest of the Bible. This looks entirely different from everything else that we see when God um, is moving. So now, in order to understand how this all fits together and why um, God acts the way he does and how Jacob wins— we first need to understand that God is very, very complex. And this makes sense because God is infinite. He's all-powerful like we already discussed, and we are not. So it makes sense that he would be very complex. But I want to focus on two different characteristics, two different um, attributes of his that, while they may seem at odds, are both crucial in order to make God who he is. The first that I'd like to mention is God's grace. Now, this is what we hear um, in church every Sunday. We sing about it. We read about it in the Bible. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The reason that grace is such a big deal is because it's the reason we're saved. It's because God had enough grace to send his son to die, to extend that gift of forgiveness to us, that we are saved. It's because of his grace. And every good thing that he's done um, for these characters in the Bible, including Jacob, is a result of that grace. Because we don't deserve it. It's only by his grace that he has given us those things. 
And the second attribute that I'd like to mention is his judgment. His judgment is what makes him righteous. Because God is all-powerful and because there is wrong in the world, if God were to be perfect, then he must be a righteous judge that condemns evil and will eventually, as we see in Revelation, uh, wipe it off the face of the earth and restore creation to how it previously was. I like how Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. The word indignation is saying that he wants to make right. He wants the evil that is in the world to be gone. He wants to judge it. He wants to make it right. He is a righteous God that feels that indignation to fix his creation. Now, these may initially seem like opposing attributes. How can God be gracious and extend grace to people? Um... When he is a judge, a righteous judge, who wants to make everything good. Well, that's kind of um, the picture that we see, the, the, the battle that's going on in Jacob's story. So what I propose is that this story isn't just Jacob fighting God. It's actually Jacob having more faith in God's grace than he does in his judgment. Or in other words... Because Jacob has more faith, because he truly believes that God will be gracious to him, even when God appears to be fighting him, God blesses him. So again, on one side, you have God and his judgment that oppose Jacob from being protected from his sin. Because Jacob, remember, he's wronged Esau. He has done bad things, and he deserves the effect of that sin. But on the other side is Jacob, and more importantly, the faith that he has in God's grace. So it's Jacob and God's grace literally wrestling with God's judgment. Now, this may seem like a bit of a leap in logic. How can you go from all of these questions just to the solution that, oh, well, you know, God's attributes are fighting themselves? Well, It does make sense, and the first reason that I believe this is, number one, only God can fight with God. Because remember, as we've said, God is all-powerful. He has control over everything. He created everything in, in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that can possibly come close to beating him in a fight. And yet here we are, it says that um, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob somehow wins, he somehow wrestles with God and wins, even though he's human. And remember, Jacob at this point wasn't even a powerful king or um, he didn't have an army In fact, he was at the mercy of Esau. He was at the mercy of another mortal man. So how does a lonely shepherd beat God Almighty? Well, the only possible explanation is he had the strength of God Almighty. And not only is it true that Jacob needs God's grace to win this fight, but it also creates a strikingly perfect analogy. Let's go over the situation again. We have Jacob um, in a dire situation, 
And why is that? That's because he has sinned against Esau. And Esau has come back to repay him for what he did. So in this story, Esau represents the looming judgment that Jacob has because of his previous sin. Now Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, we all deserve the judgment that is coming to us. We all deserve the result of our sin because we're the ones who committed that sin. And this is especially true in Jacob's case. The word Jacob actually means deceiver. So here we have Jacob by himself alone with no defense. And it seems that the judgment and the punishment for his sin is inevitable. In fact, the punishment for his sin and the result of his sin is so just that we even see God fighting him. His judgment agrees. Remember, he's a righteous judge. So it must be true that he deserves this coming punishment. And because of this, the only place that he can turn to is God's grace. The only possible place that he can ask for forgiveness, the only possible place that can deliver him, is if God decides to have mercy on him. Now, I want to take a step back for a moment, and I want to propose the question, what would you do if you were in Jacob's situation? What would you do if you had no one else to turn to, and your judgment seemed inevitable? That already sounds like a very bad situation that you can't possibly escape from. But what if then God came down and actively opposed you? I think most of us would give up, honestly. I I think most of us would say, well, I mean, look, man is against me. God is against me. And if God is against me, how can I possibly prevail in this situation? Most of us would give up. We would say, well, I guess that's it. If God's decided to be against me, there's really nothing I can do. But interestingly, that's not the response that Jacob has. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't do that. No, he actually wrestles with God. He doesn't really, in some ways, he doesn't take no for an answer. He has such faith that God is going to deliver him That even when God wrestles with him, he still fights for that salvation. Now, what is the result of this wrestling? Well, interestingly enough, God doesn't take it as disrespect when Jacob wrestles with him in faith. He actually rewards him and he gives him exactly what he asks for. When Jacob pins him to the ground and says, I won't let you go unless you bless me, God actually does bless him. And the result of this is that when Jacob meets Esau, Esau actually is happy to see him. Esau welcomes him back. And the relationship between Jacob and Esau is repaired. And there is no judgment for Jacob. Because Jacob had faith in God's grace. He honestly believed with all his heart That God's grace was greater than his wrath. He really, truly believed that God loved him more than he wanted to harm Jacob. 
So my question to you is, what do you need from God? What do you need to wrestle with God for? What dire situation are you in that you need a blessing from God? You need deliverance or repentance or salvation. What is it that you need to wrestle with God with? And more importantly, how do you do that? How do you have the faith that Jacob had in order to wrestle with God? Well, I'm going to be honest here for a second. I don't know how Jacob did it. I really am clueless to how Jacob had enough faith to wrestle with God. I'm not sure how Jacob had so much confidence that God would be gracious to him. But that said, I do think it's possible for us to have that faith. And the reason for this is because we know how God's grace won over his judgment. We know today how Jacob won that wrestling match. Because remember what I said, these two attributes, although crucial in order for God to be who he is, he must be gracious and have judgment. This does make you wonder, what happened to God's judgment when Jacob won the wrestling match? Because remember, God is all-powerful. It's not like he really lost. He didn't lose to a lonely shepherd. So how was God's judgment reasoned with? How is it that God's grace prevailed in that situation? Well, we know today. Jacob didn't because he lived thousands of years before Jesus came on the scene. But today we know how God's wrath was satisfied. We know today how God managed to keep us from his wrath. And this is through Jesus. By Jesus dying on the cross, he took on all of the wrath. He took on all of the anger and the judgment of God from all of humanity. All the sins that humanity had committed were put on Jesus, and he was judged for it. And because of that, Jacob, in this story, wins. That's how he prevails in this situation. He may not have known it then, but we know it today. That because of Jesus' sacrifice, because he took on all of that anger and judgment on himself, we don't have to. And therefore, we can have confidence and we can have faith in God's grace. That he will be gracious to us. Because Jesus did not receive that same grace. So whatever it is that you need from God, whatever it is that you're wrestling with him for, I want you to know that because of Jesus' sacrifice, God's judgment doesn't matter. That's the result of his sacrifice, of what Jesus did. In verse 29, it says, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. The reason that he says, why is it that you ask my name? Is because his judgment doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Jacob knows what his name is. He doesn't need to know anything about that judgment. He doesn't need to know anything about that previous enemy. Because it no longer applies to him. Because 
of the blood, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we no longer need to fear. We no longer need to be so acquainted with. We no longer need to suffer under God's judgment. That's the reason why Jesus died. It's the reason how Jacob won this wrestling match. And it's the reason why we will be able to spend eternity in fellowship with God. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for what we've learned today about Jacob and Esau and the wrestling match with you that he had. Thank you for the fact that we've been able to learn today about how Jacob prevailed and how he was rescued from the judgment and the result of his sin. Thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus to die, that he made that sacrifice so that we could be in heaven with you forever. And please give us the confidence to have faith in your grace in the dire situations that we face. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been the seventh episode of Bible Beyond. I'd like to give a huge thanks to my grandfather for creating the wonderful music that you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, check back with us when we have a new episode up and ready. But for now, have a great day.